I'm going to read a single verse as we begin from Galatians chapter 6. Chapter 6 of Galatians, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do uh, again ask as the, the hymn writer pray that you would reveal your word to us, your, your truth that is in your word revealed. But Father, sometimes it seems to us uh, in your word concealed. And again, the hymn writer asks that you would, you would unfold your word to us, that you would help us to see and understand, to meditate on these things, to, to search the scriptures that we might see our Lord, that we might truly see him in all of his glory, his wisdom, and his majesty, and that we would praise, that we would adore him, but also, Father, that we would beseech him to build his church. And so we do ask that you would build your church and that you would be glorified in these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. One of the several books that I received for Father's Day was a relatively new biography by Walter Isaacson on Leonardo da Vinci. And I, I am not an artist. I am not an artist in any way, shape, or form. But I can and have come to appreciate it as I've read his book on Leonardo da Vinci's art. That da Vinci had a gift of being able to make life uh, paintings come to life, having understood how to depict people in their gestures, in the, the motion in his paintings. And one of the most famous of those paintings is The Last Supper that he did as a, a mural in Italy. And it depicts the moment when Jesus and his, his lips are still open as if the phrase has just come out of his mouth that one of you who sits at table and is eaten bread with me has betrayed me. And as you scan the mural from our left to right, some of the disciples have already come out of their seats. Others have already begun to gesture and to point and to hold their hands, there is a shock that has gone through that room, all 12 disciples reacting in the moment to what Jesus has said. This morning, uh, our, our brother helped us understand by his word pictures, the picture that we see in Acts chapter 7 of the Jews um, shocked at the news from Stephen, the, the explanation of how they had been a part of putting to death the Lord of glory. The shock of the seeing and hearing that what they valued so dear, that the temple and the Torah, the law of Moses was being spoken of by Stephen in that way. And I can 
only imagine, and I imagine with you, that Paul's words in Galatians 6, yes, they were a polemic against the Judaizers, the, the antagonizers that were coming against the young believers in the region of Galatia, that they were trying to persuade the believers that they must follow the laws of Moses in order to be saved, in order to walk on as believers. And Paul gives them a phrase like this, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. We wonder, what does Paul say about the law? We've spoken about that on several Sunday evenings. What does he actually say? But it's important for us to understand what he actually does with the law of Moses. Does he simply write it off? And there are times when we think he's so negative toward the law, is he writing it off? Or, or does he do something else with the law? The Old Testament prophets spoke of a time of renewal and restoration, uh, particularly Jeremiah in chapter 31, Ezekiel in chapter 36. There is that renewal and restoration of the people of Israel, but they also speak of a new covenant, and they also speak of God's law. In Jeremiah 31, he, he writes, I will put my law, speaking of God speaking to him, I will put my law within them. And in their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Ezekiel writes, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe all my ordinances. And then so we, we hear the, the law and the walking in righteousness, walking with the spirit of God, uh, the law of God in their hearts, and being God's people. And yet in Galatians, we hear Paul speaking in one place negatively of the law, in other places positively of the law. In Galatians 2, we have two existences that he presents before us, life under the law and life to God. In chapter 2, he says, for through the law I died to the law that I might live to God. Death to the law, but life to God. There, there's these two things opposed to one another. And in Galatians 5, we, we have a, a warning and the reason for that warning, where he writes in verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So here we see Paul saying, I died to the law that I might live to God. That's a very um, explicit um, opposition of words there. But then in Galatians 5, he, he is saying, through love serve one another that you may fulfill the whole law. What do these things mean? Well, there are four explanations that I discovered that people offer as to why Paul might say the things that he does in this way. Now, again, uh, to us, 
some of these things, we, we're so used to reading them, we're so used to these phrases that I don't think it has the, the shock value that it would have had to those in Galatia, the Jewish believers, reading these words of Paul and hearing him preach in this way. But we have our own ideas or conceived notions of what Paul might have meant. The first of these is that Paul is simply in the heat of controversy, particularly in Galatians 5 and 6, where he's writing his polemic, that, that these are really irreconcilable statements that he fired off. And, and he's so caught up in the controversy over the law that he, he says contradictory things. But other letters that Paul writes have positive and negative things to say about the law in the same letter. And so we can't really use this as a reliable guide. 1 Corinthians is not a polemic against the law. It's speaking of the divisions among God's people, but in there he has positive and negative statements about the law. So I, I don't think Paul, and I, I don't think many of us in this room would think of Paul as, as contradicting himself and then just letting it sit there. The second explanation offered is that Paul is upset at the misuse or the misappropriation of the law, that, that the Jews were using it as a, a nationalistic or a legalistic purpose, saying this is what you must do if you are to be counted among the people of God, among the things that are the, what are sometimes called the, the boundaries of the people of God, you must obey the law of Moses. But we don't see Paul railing against this misappropriation in explicit terms like that because he really explains that the law of Moses has no justifying power. In Galatians 3, he says, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. So he's not saying misappropriation. He's explaining the law cannot do this. A third thing, there are those who believe that Paul thinks of the teachings of Jesus, that he's put the teachings of Jesus kind of in this category, as, as one author puts it, um, rather than the Torah of Zion, he has the, or of Sinai, he has the Torah of Christ, that, that you take Christ's teachings as, quote-unquote, the, the law, but Paul so seldom quotes Jesus, uh, and the ones that he, he does, I think it's pretty easy for us to see them and understand those quotations. And he nowhere appeals to the, the teachings of Christ a, as a unit, as, as something that he's already defined as this law or Torah of Christ. Others say that, that Paul says that believers have no need of the Mosaic Law, since their spirit-inspired conduct means that they have already fulfilled the law. But it's hard to understand or know even whether the Galatian believers would have understood a subtlety of this 
kind. The difference between keeping or doing the law on the one hand and the fulfilling the law on the other hand. We, we, we don't hear Paul explicitly explain that to us and, and to them. And does the keeping of a specific command of the law in Galatians 5.14, Leviticus, he's quoting directly from the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, verse 18, you shall love the neighbor, your neighbor as yourself, and saying the whole law is fulfilled in this one statement, does it mean that the fulfilling of one statement of the law means fulfilling of the whole thing. So do these four ideas really explain why Paul speaks as he does? We need to look at the context of Galatians 6 verse 2, and it's in the midst of a section from verses 5, 13 down through 6, 10. It's a passage that that's, should stay together. And we see Paul talking about do not use your freedom that you have in Christ as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's where he begins. And he ends that, bookends that passage in verse 10 of chapter 6. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men and especially to those who are of the household of faith. What we see here is the through love serving one another, but then he says, yes, but how does that happen? How do we f walk in light of this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself command? Well, you walk by the Spirit, he says, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh because the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the Spirit. He uses the phrase, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then he talks about the deeds of the flesh on the one hand, the deeds of the Spirit on the other, the fruit of the Spirit that comes from walking by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. And then, of course, his exhortation to believers, if any man is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. These are the, the aspects that he brings out. This sowing of the good, of walking in the, by the spirit, of living by the spirit. And so we see that he says, by this you fulfill the law of Christ. It's at once a summary statement, but it's also a sea change statement. It, it, it would have been, I believe, a shock to those who first read this and heard this. But what is the law of Christ? What, what does he mean by that? Well, that's the great question, and that is a very complex question. Does he mean by Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself? Does he mean the law, all of the law of Moses? Is he speaking here of the law of Christ being equal to the law of Moses by using this example? 
Well, we know that Jesus used Leviticus 19.18 to summarize the greatest commandments, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second is like it, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus used this verse as a summary of the law of Moses. But the law in the phrase, the law of Christ in Galatians 6.2, I do not believe is equivalent to the law of Moses. He's not just saying this is the law of Moses, the law of Christ, that they are equal. But I also do not believe that he's strictly thinking of the moral teaching of Christ. As we have already examined, one possibility but I do believe that he is looking at the law as what would be a normative pattern, a pattern of Christ's example, a Christ's example of what? Of giving himself, of burden bearing, of serving one another in love. It, it illuminates what, what Paul has, has already yearned for in Galatians chapter 4, uh, this this phrase that, that kind of jumps out at us, I think, in that chapter, my little children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ be formed in you. There, there, there's something new here. There's something different here, something distinct here that, that Paul is, is getting to, that Paul is forming for us. There are other phrases in Paul's writings that are closely related to this phrase, law of Christ. He, he uses the terms law of God or law of the Spirit. In another place, law of faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says uh, of himself in his ministry, he says, to those who are under the law, I, I, I acted as under the law. To those without the law, as without the law, Though not being without the law of God, but under, this is again, he says of himself, but under the law of Christ. In Romans 3, he's telling us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But he, he is trying to understand, well, where, where is our boasting? He says in chapter 3, verse 27, where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, he says, but by a law of faith. There is a new law. There is something different here. We go on to Romans 8, and he says, For the law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Again, there, there is this groundbreaking, sea-change statement here. He's summarizing the law as we see from the Old Testament, but he's also presenting something new. And in all three of these phrases, in Galatians and in Romans and in 1 Corinthians 9, the, all of these phrases are in contrast to and in substitution for the law of Moses. The law of God or the law of faith or the law of the Spirit, the law of Christ has a distinction from the law of Moses. I, I don't see them him saying that they are equivalent. The, the law continues to exist. The law of Moses is still there. But again, as we heard this morning and as we see from Jeremiah and Ezekiel, that the eschatological Israel of which Jeremiah and Ezekiel speak 
is freed from bondage. It, it, they're embarking on a new exodus. We, we, we see them being led by the Spirit and enabled to fulfill the law. But the law of Mount Sinai is obsolete. In Leviticus 19.18, you shall love the Lord, the, your neighbor as yourself is a command that is absorbed into what Paul is calling the law of Christ. As believers bear one another's burdens, as they, through love, serve one another. But how is this law of Christ fulfilled? What, what does that mean? Well, again, you've, you've heard the phrase, context, context, context. We, we go back to the context of where Paul writes these things and conceives these things. It's in the life is in the spirit. We, we hear these phrases again. Walk by the spirit. You are being led by the spirit. Live by the spirit, he says. And then he says, keep in step with the spirit. We, we understand that the only way for believers to fulfill the law of Christ is by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not legalistic. It's not something that we can do in our human power. It's not nationalistic. It's across barriers and across nations. It, it is not strictly for those of the Jewish religion or faith. It's not tied to a specific ethnicity. It is boundless in these things. It is not constrained by these things. One who fulfills the law of Christ fulfills the Old Testament law as summed up in the law of love. The law of Christ is not limited in the sense that it is only a law of love. The love is the heartbeat of the law of Christ. And it shows us the true nature of true love as it unfolds in all sorts of moral norms and Christian attitudes and behaviors. The fruit of the Spirit is love, but in, with that is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. These are the things that Paul in, unfolds for us in the law of Christ. Does Paul expect believers to keep the moral aspects of the law? Well, again, there is a connection that Paul explains in his writings of the law. And there's a connection between the law and sin. The problem is not with the law per se. We read again in, in Romans 7, uh, the law is holy, Paul says, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. It, the problem is not the law. The problem is flesh and sin. The problem is in the problem of the human heart. The, the, the law... Paul writes, apart from the Spirit, kills. Romans chapter 7. The law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. But then Romans 8, in order, he says, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, he writes of Christ, to those who walk according, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Again, we do not fulfill, cannot fulfill the law of Christ without walking according to the Holy Spirit. The question of the validity 
and the use of the Old Testament law of Moses is complex. The more I read, the more I realize I don't know. And the more I don't know, the more I realize I have to continue to read and study and pray. The, the moral demands of the law are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. However, the content of what the law requires has not changed. What God requires of his people, what God wants to do in the human heart, that he would walk in righteousness, holiness, and, and in the truth, ha has not changed. But what's new is that there is the gift of the Holy Spirit. There is the gift of the Holy Spirit to help believers who give them the power to obey what the law requires. Salvation does not come through the law, but through Christ. Christ saves us from the curse of the law. When Paul writes that he has died to the law, that he might live to Christ, it is in Christ that he has died to the law. It is in Christ that we, as fellow believers with Paul, died to the law. And we die to sin, and we live to God. Under Christ's lordship and by his spirit, we follow Christ's example. So then we can read, and we can hear, and we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, obey. When Paul writes to believers in Christ, through love serve one another, bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we have looked at a, a powerful passage that speaks to us even today across thousands of years. And yet we ask that you would help us to understand these things, help us to walk in these things. Because, Father, we would desire to understand what it means to please you and to honor you in all that we do, all that we say, and how we interact with other people, especially with the household of faith. And so, Father, we ask again, build your church. Build her up that she might be a glory and honor and a praise to our Lord Jesus Christ and to our Almighty God. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please rise for the benediction from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, Comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Amen.